0: God's grace, his mercy, and his peace are yours from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There's this area out by Six Flags. It's out by Misued, an area that doesn't have any houses or homes on it. It's just empty. And it's not really swamp. I don't know if you've ever driven down I-10 going to Slidell and wondered what those, those exits were that went nowhere. Those were exits for what was called New Town. Way back in the 80s, they're going to make a whole town, New Orleans East, all the way through Six Flags, and all that property that's behind Six Flags was supposed to be developed with streets, with businesses. And so when I saw that and I read that this last week, I got curious. What's back there? There's a lake called Lake Mishud that's right by Six Flags. And you go up to one side of the lake, there's development there, there's houses, and you could stand and look at the rest of the lake, it's a pretty large lake, and I wondered what's, what's over there. And so, in my thinking, I automatically thought, how am I going to make a path to the other side? Thankfully, someone, a neighbor came and started talking to us and started describing the area and he said, yeah, I've made paths around... The, the lake a little bit, but I never made it to the other side, so again I'm thinking, how am I going to make it to the other side so I, so I could see what's over there, to check it out, to see if it's just pristine land, or if it's just junk. So I'm thinking of ways to forge my way through the forest, to make my way over the water, to make my way to the other side, because wouldn't it be cool to live on a lake on that side where there's no one else around you? I thought it would be cool. I would like to go over there. I want to see it. I haven't yet. I might try to do it. But it gets me thinking about people who explore, especially people who have to make bridges to explore. And how much work goes into it, getting from point A to point B, you wonder, how did the first people who built bridges build bridges? There's this big cavern between them and the other side. How would they get across to that other side to start building and bring construction materials and start building that bridge so people can simply walk across it? How would they do it? Do they have to forge their way all the way around for miles and miles just to get to that other point? Maybe. But it was worth it. They felt that building a bridge and traveling so far was worth it that they were willing to forge their way through perhaps jungle and bushes and wild animals just to get that point because it was worth it. Well, it was worth Jacob forging his own way. See, Jacob saw something that he really wanted. Jacob, the son of Isaac, we we talked about Isaac last week, and Isaac, the son of Abraham. And and so here we get to the the forefathers of the the Christian faith of Israel. Finally, Jacob comes along and he wonders how am I going to get this blessing that is so magnificent, this thing that is so great, this thing called the birthright? Having a birthright meant you received the share of your father's inheritance, everything that he owned. And so from his flocks, from his buildings, from his business, just authority over his family, that's what the birthright brought along. And for Isaac, actually there was so much more than just the earthly blessings. God promised that through Isaac, the world would be blessed. Meaning, from Isaac's line would come the Savior. Not only that, but God promised that Abraham and through Isaac that anyone who blessed Isaac would be blessed, anyone who cursed Isaac would be cursed, and that his descendants would be as numerous as the dust in the world. And so having this birthright it was important, it was valuable especially for Jacob. But there's only one problem with Jacob. He wasn't the firstborn son. And the birthright goes to the firstborn son, Esau. Now, I'm sure you've been watching little Olympics. And what every Olympian Olympian says is, the worst place to come in is fourth. Because you're not in the podium. You just miss it by this much. And if you think of Jacob and Esau, Jacob missed the birthright by this much. Him and his brother Esau were twins. And when he came out of the womb, he was clasping onto the heel of Esau, almost as if to pull him back to be first so that he would receive the birthright. And so, just a matter of seconds later, he missed it. He was a second born son, not the first born. But that didn't matter for Jacob. He wanted the birthright, he wanted the blessings. That his father would give him the possessions, the the flocks, the tents, the servants, the authority over his family, the business. He wanted it all. And he wanted, too, the blessings that God gave the spiritual ones. That your nation, you, would become a great nation. That through you, the world would be blessed through a Savior. And so Jacob was willing to work so hard for that. And he was good at it. If Jacob were a businessman today he would be an excellent businessman because he had persistence. He had grit. He had determination. He would do absolutely everything to get what he wanted or where he wanted to be. And you see that as we examine Jacob's life, he lived up to his name. Jacob means heel grabber or deceiver. He was always trying to get ahead. Always trying to pull Esau back so that he gets in front of him. And we see that one time when Esau came back from the fields from hunting. And Esau is hungry and famished. And he goes and sees Jacob cooking a pot of stew. And he says to Jacob, give me some stew, otherwise I'm going to die. Jacob, being the cunning person that he was, said to Esau, I'll trade you your birthright for a bowl of stew. Of course Esau wouldn't take that, right? It's an inheritance. In our society, Isaac's inheritance would have been millions of dollars. It was a blessing, a spiritual blessing that the Savior would come from his line and yet Jacob grabbed Esau's heel. I'll trade you your birthright a bowl of stew and Esau foolishly said well what good is the birthright for me if I'm dead give me the stew I'll promise you my birthright Jacob pulling Esau back not just that but when it was time or when Isaac's time was coming to a close and he knew it Isaac wanted to bless his sons Jacob knew what that meant That meant Esau would go in before Isaac and Esau would say, You are my firstborn son, Esau. To you I give the the majority of the share of my inheritance. I will bless you and through you will come a savior and through you will come a great nation. Jacob knew that would happen to Esau. And so Jacob dressed up like Esau, even putting wool on his arms to convince his father that he was Esau. And Jacob got the blessing. He lit up his name. Heel grabber, deceiver, he pulled Esau back and he got the blessing that he wanted so much. But then you begin to realize once Jacob got there, it wasn't what he expected. He worked so hard to get to that point. But then today we find him with his head laid on a rock a pillow. Starting at verse 10 of Genesis 28. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. All Jacob's work left him there on a rock. And why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't Jacob end up with his head on a rock when all this time he was deceiving and conniving against his family, doing everything he could for himself and for the blessing that he wanted? What do you think Esau felt like? Esau was kind enough to say to Jacob, I'm not going to kill you while our father's alive. But the moment he dies, you're a dead man. So it makes sense why Jacob is running away from his family, from everything that he... Owned from everything that was promised to him through the blessing, all the physical possessions, and they're laying on a rock by himself alone. His pursuit of that blessing had messed up his family. Esau hated him, he deceived his dad. Him together with his mom, they they lied to the family? Why wouldn't he be there by himself on that rock? As hard as he worked, as tenacious as he was, it didn't end up the way he anticipated. And you really kind of see that today. Today people who work so hard to get what they want, they're reaching for a goal, and maybe they're ambitious, they're tenacious, and they're going to get there any way that they can, and they work so hard, but so often they get to a spot where they think is the highest level, and it's almost as if it's a cliff, and they fall off it. And everything that they wanted, they realize they can't get. And everything that they had, they realize they've lost. You see how it's worked. How Whatever that goal is, whether it's money, whether it's status, whether it's comfort, whether it's peace, whether it's a home, whether it's property, you see how families have been torn apart because of it. Because someone's going to do anything that they can to get what they want, the blessings they want. They're heel grabbers. Deceivers, they're Jacob. And it's not just the people of the world, it's it's us too, in the congregation. You see, God gave that blessing to Jacob. He promised the blessing to Jacob, and Jacob knew that. He also promised us blessings too. Blessings of peace, of comfort, of glory, of fellowship, of unity. And yet sometimes we pick one of those blessings and we go after it so hard. And we want to be there so much that we use all our grit and determination to get there. And so for the sake of unity and being together with everyone and everyone at peace, we try so hard, but once we get there, we realize, well, sometimes for the sake of unity, we leave God behind in the dust. If unity means putting aside God's teachings and his doctrines, then what is unity? What is it? Sometimes we want peace and comfort in our congregation and with our interactions with other Christians. And we try so hard at that and we we blaze our own trail. And yet, in trying to find peace, maybe peace that isn't quite godly, a worldly peace, that we're just comfortable with each other and not talking about Our spiritual issues, we find ourselves falling off a cliff at the end, laying our heads on a hard rock. And you see how congregations collapse when they search for God's blessings that he really hasn't given to us in totality. Certainly God gives us peace. The ultimate peace he'll give us is when he takes us to heaven. Certainly he gives us unity. But the ultimate unity he gives us is when he takes us to heaven. But when we try selfishly to grab those blessings and bring them here, we find ourselves a heel grabber, a Jacob. We value peace more than the love of Christ, unity more than being united with Christ. But then that night, as Jacob's head was on that rock, God showed him something that he really needs to see and that we really need to see too. Starting at verse 12. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with his top reaching to heaven and angels of God ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north, to the south. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. If you zoomed out and saw Jacob's path, you would see him going in circles. If you zoomed out on the earth and saw everyone's path, where they want to be and how they're getting there, you just see them going around this round earth again and again and again and they're not going to be able to find what they need because they don't find it here. They're not going to find it in this world through acknowledgement of peers, through authority they have, through the money and gifts that they've been given, what they're looking for is of a heavenly standard. What they, they're looking for, they can't reach themselves. What we're looking for, we can't obtain because we are only worldly. But that's why God came to Jacob and literally it says he placed his ladder down on the earth. God came to Jacob. While Jacob was going around trying to receive the blessings and earn the blessings that God had promised to him, God, in one moment, laying his ladder on the earth, showed Jacob that it's not you that works your way to me. You're not walking up a mountain trying to get to me. I'm coming down to you. And what does God say? except the same blessings that Isaac said. I will make you into a great nation. You'll be as numerous as the dust on the earth. Those who bless you will bless, I will bless, and those who curse you, I will curse. And through you will come a blessing for all the the nations. A Savior. God took that and he put it down in front of Jacob. Jacob. God came to Jacob. It's not a ladder that God puts down to us, but it is wooden. It's a cross. So often we're wandering around trying to grab the blessings of God by our own work, blazing our own trail. And here we are walking around this this world, going nowhere, and so God places right in front of us a wooden cross. A cross that Jesus died on. And Him dying on that cross, cross, our King has made a way for us. He's made the way for us. It's not us doing the work, it's Him doing the work for us, coming to us, here who are stuck in this, this rat race, this world, He comes down and reaches to us and he brings us those promises. He says, I will give you peace. In fact, you you have it. Even though you don't feel peaceful, you still have it because no matter what this world throws at you, it can't take the eternal peace I've given you. You have life and you have it to the full. Even though it seems like sometimes you're trapped within your, your own home, with your own mind, I have you... A place in heaven, a mansion that is just everlasting. I've given it to you. You don't have to climb up for it. I bring it to you. I have made my way to you. Don't think you have to make your way to me. So many people walk up the mountain thinking, I can earn God's blessings, I work towards God's blessings. But there the blessing is all along, right there in the cross. And as we see that, as we understand that, we can turn around and and share with every single person who is paving their own way and marking their own journey and reaching their own blessings. We can put that cross in front of them and say, here is the way up. Here is the way to the top. Here is the way to the peace, the joy, the comfort, the fulfillment, the glory that you so crave. Because every single person craves it. They crave what God can give them, but they don't understand sometimes that it's God that gives it. Our king made his way to us. And through us, he makes his way to so many other people. As we stand before his cross, and we see the journey we've made and how we've messed some things up and ruined some things in our lives and made it worse by trying to take our own way, trying to avoid trials, trying to avoid tribulation. He says, take up my cross. Take up your cross and follow me. Hold on to your cross. Because I gave you that cross so that you would have the right path so that you would walk towards me in what you do and what you think and what you say. And in doing so, you will be with me in my kingdom because I made a path for you. He did so in Jesus. Amen. Please stand. continue by confessing our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed, printed for you on page 5 in your bulletin. We confess our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell.